This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel, and this is the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. This is Dr. Aaron Kuzel. And I'm Dr. Nick Cottrell. And this is the Pre-Hospital Emergency Podcast. I have here Dr. Cottrell. Is it Cottrell? Cottrell. Cottrell. All right. All right. Well, I'm, see, I've been saying this wrong the whole time. Yeah, it's fine. Um, man. Don't worry. Uh, Nick is a dear friend of mine. Uh, he is a ED pharmacist at the University of Louisville Emergency Department, and we're excited to talk to you all about ketamine. And we're going to go over what ketamine is, the history, as well as the use in the emergency department, and some tips and tricks that we've learned along the way practicing and using ketamine in the emergency department. Uh, Nick, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself since you're going to be kind of a recurring guest on this podcast? Yeah, I appreciate it, Aaron. Um, so don't feel bad about my last name. Actually, Beth didn't know. Beth is my wife. Um, didn't know how to say my last name for like the first four months we dated. She was extremely angry when I told her it was Cottrell and not Cottrell. And she was like, I've been telling it. And it's one of those things that, you know, people have said it so wrong for so long that <laughs> I just don't even correct them. Um, so anyways, it's a pleasure to be here. I am originally from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Then I went to Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, spent some time there, and then went to Belmont University in Nashville, got my PharmD there. And then in pharmacy training, it's a little bit different. Um, you can take a, f- a few avenues. You can take the traditional role where you're kind of a community pharmacist. There's certainly pharmacists working in you know, insurance companies and things like that. I personally knew that I wanted to work in a hospital. So kind of what that avenue looks like is we can do residency. So I did two years. Essentially, our first year is just like a general year, kind of like what your intern year would be in medical training. Um, and then our second year, we can specialize. So I did emergency medicine, went worked at another facility for a little bit, and then I came back to here at UofL, and I've been here for three years. So it's, I always tell people UofL is kind of like my home. You know, the people that I know, um, I've seen, you know, a lot of you guys pre-hospital throughout my entire training and I've seen us grow together. So, you know, I really do have a passion for what you guys do and, you know, I want to have a foot in anything that I can to help you guys out. Well, thanks for joining us today and, and agreeing to be part of this podcast. I know a lot of those listeners out in the rigs and, and the engines and in the fire stations are, are very interested about pharmacology. And so hopefully we will provide them a product that they can go back and, and learn and, and grow. So today we're going to talk about ketamine. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of ketamine and how it's been incorporated into the emergency department? Yeah, so interestingly enough, you know, ketamine has been used for a long time. It's actually probably one of the older drugs that we know that's available. In general, it was used in veterinary medicine as a general anesthetic. If you if you still look it up today on any reputable website or, you know, any compendium, it's going to tell you its class of medication is a general anesthetic. So from that, you know, our, our colleagues in anesthesia, they kind of started using it. A little bit more through history and they they definitely I would say have the breadth of you know the, the knowledge and the research that we have extrapolated from in emergency medicine um, I will say our use of the drugs probably a little bit different than what they use in the operating room but you know they've kind of been the ones that have brought it into the hospital setting of course you know they they started using it for things like intubation and of course that's something we commonly use in the emergency department it's kind of made its way you know through the late 80s 90s into the emergency department and so that's where the breadth of our knowledge comes from 2016 is really when we started to see ketamine really start being pushed forward there's a lot of things that probably contributed to that one being podcasting we kind of saw it move a little bit more then we started realizing ketamine mechanistically if you look at it from a pharmacology standpoint it is a very interesting drug 
it, it hits a lot of different receptors in the body. So, you know, we'll, we know that we get NMDA activity. With NMDA, we get things like the dissociation, but you also get anti-seizure activity from that. You also get some activity at your opioid receptors, which is really, you know, what we're targeting in our pain control. And so that's why it's analgesics, because it's going somewhat at the opiate mu receptors, and then also targeting the NMDA receptors, which make it a great anti-epileptic or anti-seizure medication. Correct. And then even with the opioid, essentially here in Louisville, we do have a, a, a population of patients that, or I'll just say it, they, we have a huge drug problem here. Um, so I think, that, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of our patients, you know, if, we, if we're giving opioids, we're never going to touch their pain. So essentially, you know, ketamine plays on that opioid, but also it'll give you some euphoria from that NMDA, which is essentially not totally different than what we're doing with opioids because, you know, people, they do feel better after we give them, and it is a little bit of that euphoria. So you also, in talking about anti-epileptics <laughs> yeah. and talking about pain, you know, ketamine is used as a sedative in the emergency department as well as for RSI. Can you talk about how, in addition to the NMDA receptor and mu, uh, opiate mu receptor antagonist, how it works as a sedative? Yeah, so essentially as a sedative, what you're, what you're banking on, and I think you would agree with this, Dr. Cuzel, I think you've sedated hundreds of people in the emergency department. <laughs> you, can get, you, can, you can definitely get there with opioids, but it, it takes a while and it's unpredictable, right? So you definitely get some sedation from that opioid property, and uh, I'm not discounting that at all, but really where we're getting that sedation is from that NMDA activity, the hyperactivity of glutamate, and then we're going to have this kind of like euphoric state where you're where you're kind of, I call it, for all of my Stranger Things, th- Stranger Things fans out there, I call it the upside down. Um, so essentially, like, <laughs> your body's still here with us, but you go somewhere else. So it's kind of like what we're shooting for is that dissociation. And I know for some of you guys that have, like, stuck around and, you know, seen us emergently, you know, reduce somebody in room nine and sedate them, you'll notice, like, you know, the patient might be able to talk to you. They might be, it's probably going to be nonsensical. They'll move around, they do things, but they don't remember it, which is kind of the goal of what we're doing. We're doing an invasive procedure. We're doing something ethically that we don't want them to remember because of the pain threshold. It's so, like one of my patients saying that they were backstage with Ice Cube during that entire reduction. Uh, yeah, I've heard the whole gamut of things. I've, I've had people see aliens. People have went all kinds of places, and I'm sure you've seen the same thing. But you know, for pain, I feel like you probably feel the same way about this. Whenever you use it in the emergency department, it's fairly predictable, and you do get a little bit of added analgesia with it. Whenever we're sedating or doing RSI, what we're wanting to do is take them completely out of the picture. The The patient is not going to remember anything that we're doing, whereas the pain dose, what we're doing is we're providing a little bit of analgesia, and the patient will likely remember everything that we're doing to them, but we're just adding a little bit of comfort for them. I think that's a perfect segue to talk about dosing and that there are two different types of dosing. And I think there's a fear between how I look at ketamine is almost like a spectrum. And there's the low dose, which is the analgesic dose. There's the really high dose, which is the RSI or conscious sedation dose. And then there's this dosing in the middle where is the danger zone. Can we talk about how that dosing affects and what some of these uh, members of pre-hospital care can run into? Yeah, so like I said, ketamine, you know, it's fairly new probably for you guys in the pre-hospital world, just as like we're starting to get more and more experience with it or continue to get more and more experience with it here in the emergency department. And I feel like everybody that you ask might tell you a little bit different. And I think that probably says more about, you know, what treating pain is. Pain, what I tell everybody, it's an art, not a science. I can tell you where to start. I don't know where you're going to end up. Same thing with sedation, any of that other stuff. When you were just talking about the spectrum of ketamine dosing, that is exactly how I teach learners. 
so really, if you want to look at a spectrum of it, we look at from zero milligrams to about 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. So that's where our, our studies come from, and that's what our studies looked at whenever we get that, or whenever we got that data that it was safe to use, safe and effective to use in the emergency department for pain. So that 0.3 milligram per kilogram dose and less, usually here in the hospital, we cap our patients at 30 milligrams. And I think that's a fair number to cap most of your patients at. Everybody knows we're, we're here in Kentucky and we can, you guys can definitely pick up patients in the several hundred kilo fashion. You kind of got to use a bit of judgment on that. When you have a 200 kilo person, their, their 0.3 milligram per kilo dose is 60 milligrams. So the drug is going to, uh, giving that person 60 milligrams might be the equivalent of giving him 30. So the pain case. dose is 0.3 milligrams per kilogram or how we shorten it in the hospitals, 30 milligrams per kilo or 30 milligrams total. Yeah. So so what we'll do in the hospital is, you know, 0.3 milligram per kilogram dose up to 30 milligrams. And we do that by a slow IV push. And, you know, and that, that... And that's so important to have that slow IV push. Yeah, we can get into the adverse events about that. So what I tell people, too, is, is ketamine, the side effects that you talk about, the worrisome things like the apnea or... Laryngospasm. Yeah, laryngospasm. Those kind of like more worrisome side effects, they're dose-related, but they're also rate-related. I'll unpack that for you. So the dose, like I can, 100 milligrams might make somebody apneic, right? Right. 30 milligrams might make somebody apneic. So even that small dose, yeah. you can still see that apnea and laryngospasm. You can certainly still see that, and it's based on the rate. So if you decide you're going to zip it in as fast as you can, that patient's probably going to have some adverse events from that. So can you go into what is a slow rate? So many times in EMS, yeah. and even in the emergency department setting, we talk about a slow push, but no one ever really gives you, for my training, it was just look at the clock and see when it hits the 30-second hand, and then that should be when it's all in. But that's not really a great idea. What is exactly yeah. a slow push? So in, that's a great thing. It's one of those things that we like, you know, tell people in medicine all the time. The it's great like, mystery. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what do you do? And then everybody gives you this one-liner, and it's like, Okay, but I don't really know what to do with that information. So, yeah, thank you for that. So, slow IV push. In general, when we're talking about a slow IV push, what I'm talking about is three to five minutes. And I know that's a long time in an ambulance, but it's that's what the definition would be. And I think most pharmacists would agree with that definition. That feels like your entire ride time. Yeah, I know. The hospital. So, yeah, <laughs> so that would be like a slow push. What I have seen done and what some of our attendings do, we'll push 10 milligrams at a time. 10 milligrams over, say, your 30 seconds, and then assess, and then wait a minute or two. And if he needs that next 10 milligrams, he'll give that next 10 milligrams. You know, you push that first 10 milligrams over 30 seconds, go back to doing whatever else your patient needs you to do. That might be enough. You might be able to stop there. If they need a little bit more, then you can push another 10 milligrams, wait a little bit, and see how it goes. Probably heard me. I, I had the privilege of, you know, helping train Dr. Kuzel here. You've probably heard me. <laughs> you've probably heard me say a thousand times, you can always give more. You can't Never take it out. Less. Yeah, you can't take it out once it's in there. If this is your first time using it or you have minimal experience using it, I always say that. Like, just start low, get comfortable with the drug, because it certainly is something that you have to get comfortable with. It's a new thing for you. It's a drug that you have no experience with. You've read the side effects. They look horrifying. You've heard horror stories about them. It's a hot topic. It's always going to be a hot topic. It's uh, really in the press right now, especially from a pre-hospital standpoint, between Aurora, Colorado, and, and other places in the country. Anything that goes wrong with ketamine is immediately looked at at the press as something, oh, it's bad. It's Yeah, and it, you know and that brings up a good point, too. Like I'll see a lot of things, and everybody sees it, too. We'll take fentanyl, for example. How many people uh, with exactly. fentanyl touch exposures? And we all have... Exp- <laughs> Like, I mean, I should die every shift 
if that's the <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, but you know, that is a good point because the news media they they will take this stuff and they will run with it because ketamine, like I said, if you look it up online, it says it is a general anesthetic. So from that standpoint, you can imagine any way they can twist the words. So patient overdosed with general anesthetic in pre-hospital setting like you can imagine how that will it, it sounds crazy but all we all we know is like somebody just got a little bit too much ketamine that's all it really was but yeah. you can twist the story however you want to same thing with fentanyl we've all seen it it's always going to be a hot button issue and it's always going to be something that comes up and honestly that's why i picked this topic for our first episode is because i was talking to dr kuzella before we even started this podcast i would love to be able to educate the pre-hospital people and because you guys always ask me questions that's kind of like how this came up i'm like the most common question i get is over ketamine, ketamine. by far sorry that was a that was a whole long tangent if you just go or start low, go slow, I think that will set you up for success in the long run. And usually, you know, I don't, most people can tolerate 10 milligrams, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, most you can, of the time. I can go out here in the department right adults. now. Adults. Adults <laughs> can tolerate 10 milligrams. Yeah. Most, uh, most full-grown, yeah, <laughs> most full-grown adults that I know can uh, tolerate 10 milligram IV push at once. Where I see people get in trouble, honestly... I wish we could just cap the dose at, at 20 milligrams. It's been my experience that anything over 20 is where I kind of start to send those people into the upside down that I was talking about, where they're kind of still here on the ground with me, but they're gone and they just really don't have a good time. So really, you know, when we're talking about capping doses, 20 milligrams is what I personally would cap them at. But you can go up to 30 based on, and obviously based on your protocols too. But the way it was studied was all the way up to 30 and that was the max dose. I don't know if you've had the same experience with that. Or oh, absolutely. Um, and we, that's what they call the emergency reaction, which occurs between that uh, conscious sedation dose of one milligram per kilogram to that pain analgesic dose of 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. And if you do not get it right, and if you go too little or not enough, uh, you enter this emergence reaction where people become very excitable, agitated, can actually fight you while under this sedative. It's a pretty scary process. People will scream out. Uh, People relive some trauma and PTSD from it. When you're looking at it from an emergency standpoint, if you're going to do RSI with it to go that full one milligram kilogram dose or to not exceed that 0.3 milligram, 0.3 milligram per kilogram dose in that analgesic form because you run into that 0.8, 0.7 milligrams per kilogram where you get really into trouble yeah and that that's been my experience too and that was kind of the next part of the curve that you just talked about is when i have learners i teach them that 0.3 to 0.8 is where you end up in trouble the problem is is you know that 0.3 to 1 milligram per kilogram dose you kind of just put that person in an emergence reaction you don't even give them like the full sedation or the Mm -hmm. full dissociation You, you they're just stuck here in this area and you can see the fear in their eyes They'll still talk to you, and but they're just not having a good time. You could argue that they're not in pain if they're not having a good time, and they're telling you they're not having a good time. But, but you don't also, want them to be experiencing yeah. that because there's not yeah. so, you don't have that amnesic effect, and they're going to remember all that terrible memories that they're having during that time. You know, in, in, in medicine in general right now, that's a hot-button issue is ethical stuff. Correct. We should always be practicing ethically and trying right. to make sure that our patients are, are having improvement in their pain response and not getting more additional trauma from what we're doing to them. 
Right. Studies are starting to look at PTSD rates from emergency department visits because we all know it's a it's a troubling environment. A lot of people don't get to experience what we get to experience. So there's a lot of baggage with that. And of that same token, just when they're looking at an emergency department, they're obviously going to look at pre-hospital. That's the next. If, if they're looking at it in an emergency department, the next bastion is going to be taking those studies to the EMS world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I do know that you guys have varying access to varying different concentrations of the drug and things like that. The most common one that's carried is those 500 milligrams for per 5 ml vial. So it's 100 milligrams per mil. And I'll be honest with you, I, I think that is the worst creation on Absolutely. Earth. I, <laughs> if you want to create a medical error in EMS or in the emergency department, put it in a 500 milligram vial. I, I personally, I have no idea how many errors I've seen with these vials. And everybody likes to think they're immune to it or it won't happen to you. I have seen a, you know, a physician give 500, 500 milligrams in a room full of eight other medical professionals. And, 100%. And we've all, we all critically played a role in that error happening. So those 500 milligram vials, essentially what they were made for was for IM administration. The IM administration dose, three to five mg per kilo, you can end up in the hundreds of milligrams range, right? Yeah, you want the highest concentration you can give. Those are the only times that you really need it. The majority of the time we're giving it, we're given small doses, you know, typically less than 100 milligrams even in the hospital. So, you know, for you guys, if you're t- if you're thinking your, your max dose is 30 milligrams, IV. you're carrying around, you know, a 500 milligram vial, that's a lot of extra drug drug that could end up a lot of different places. There's not a good fix for them. We've looked at purchasing stuff before. They don't exist in vials other than that size that I'm aware of. Here in the hospital, we we do have the capability to purchase the syringes, but those syringes are only good for like three months and they're just not practical to carry. But I say all that to say this, those 500 milligram per 5 ml vial that you guys carry is extremely dangerous. Yes. Every time I see it, I sweat a little bit. And honestly, I had no idea that that's what was the standard carry yeah, and out that's there. that's out of the in the EMS. And even most most of our agencies don't carry ketamine in Jefferson County. But there are some yeah. in the counties that do who may be listening to the podcast who do carry that. Uh, for example, there's one to our south that has the 500 milligram vials. And, and rightfully so, the medic who I worked with out in the county uh, was very nervous to put to, – to do it. There is a risk. It's like, oh, it's at one, one ml is 100 milligrams of ketamine. And that's an RSI dose for a 70 kilogram person for, you know, Mima <laughs> who's about, you know, 120 pounds flat. Yeah, exactly. So that's like one of the biggest barriers, you know, for those of you that that do carry it or in the future will carry it. That's something that you have to think about. It's probably not something that's brought up routinely whenever it's handed to somebody. That vial is not made for to be your friend. Thank you again for joining us on the Louisville Pre-Hospital Care Podcast. This has been Ketamine on the Bourbon Forum. This has been part one of two. Join us next month for part two as I talk with Nick Cottrell further about Ketamine. Thanks, and remember, be safe out there.